morning is My Way. You may remember Frank Sinatra singing a song called My Way. In fact, it became what we call his signature song. I heard it uh, a couple months ago on an oldie station, and I, I looked it up. 1969, the year that my wife and I were married, 54 years ago. That's when, he didn't write it, but that's when he sang. Here's some of the words to, uh, to my way. Listen to this. And now the end is here, and so I face that final curtain. My friend, I'll make it clear. I'll state my case, of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. And more, much more, I did it. I did it my way. Whoa. Doesn't get any, there's more to it, but it doesn't get any better. Uh, and, and listen to this. My way, Frank Sinatra's My Way, has become one of the most popular funeral songs. Yes, not everybody has hymns at their funeral. Some, some like to have My Way. Woo! So anyway, I thought when I heard this, I thought that would make a good sermon title. Uh, I'm always thinking, what would be a good sermon title? And uh, a sermon must always be the Word of God. That's important. But titles can be something catchy to keep our attention and help us remember it. So I thought, my way and the sovereignty of God. Not, not Frank Sinatra's my way, but God saying my way. And I thought of some of the passages in Scripture which really teach and emphasize the sovereignty of God. Romans 9 of course, very powerful passage about God's sovereignty and salvation. Matthew 20, the parable of the uh, laborers in the vineyard, really is a, is a teaching about the sovereignty of God. Or Daniel 4, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, who we're not even sure if he was a believer, but he made some very clear and strong, powerful statements about God's sovereignty. In fact, my Reformation study Bible that I use has an essay at, at Daniel 4 about God's sovereignty, God's sovereignty in creation and providence um, and, and salvation. Good stuff. But then I remembered Isaiah 55, which has always been one of my favorite chapters in Scripture. Beautiful gospel invitation and in the opening verses and then later a, a verse that many of us are familiar with, my word will not return unto me void or empty. And right in the middle, verse 8, and I'm going to be re reading the ESV, which I have, but it's very similar to the New King James that, that we read from. Um, verse 8, right in the middle of, the, of Isaiah 55, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Neither are your ways my ways. Here's, here's the Lord saying, to Frank and all his followers and people that want his song at, at, at their funeral, but really to all of us, God's saying, not your way, Frank, my way, my way. So that's our title. That's our theme. Here's the outline. It's on one of the sheets there. Karen, thank you for printing it out. Um, the first five verses come. And then the next two, verses six and seven, seek. And these early verses give a a clear, beautiful gospel invitation, the first half of the chapter. Then my way in verses 8 and 9, this is where we get our theme. Um, your way is, 
My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither is your way my way, says the Lord. Then my word, verses 10 and 11, my word will not return unto me void. And then finally, in the last two verses, joy and peace, and some beautiful figurative language here describing joy and peace. So if you have a Bible, just follow right along. We're going to go right through the chapter, verse by verse. First of all, come. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Actually, the, uh, the King James and the New King James is a good literal trans, transliteration of the Hebrew. The original Hebrew starts with a interjection, Ho! That's what we have here. Ho, everyone who thirsts. Um, inter, uh, a uh, transliteration means just taking the Hebrew letters and putting them into English letters. So it's kind of like, get your attention, like we, you hear young people say, Yo! Yo, bring me a drink of water, you know, whatever. Uh, that's how it starts. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. I like that word, come. Uh, it's repeated two more times just in the first verse. Last fall, a year ago, uh, our little granddaughter, Zinnia, turned two. She, she just turned three last week. Uh, but she was when she turned two, she learned the word come, and she would come to Grampy and take my hand and say, come Grampy, I couldn't resist. But here, it's it's the Lord telling us, come. The Lord is saying, come, come everyone. Now this is important. It's one of the places in the Old Testament. It comes up again in verse 5, where we read, behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know. It, where, where in the Old Testament, it becomes clear that the gospel God's offer of salvation is for all people, not just for Israel, his, his chosen people, but it's for everyone. Now, this is made much clearer in the New Testament, but it's here in the Old Testament too. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Uh, water is used metaphorically in the, of the gospel throughout the Bible. Think of Jesus and the woman at the well in John 4, the Samaritan woman at the well. Where Jesus said, I am the water of life. And then it goes on, uh, he who has no money, come, buy and eat. And that reminds us that salvation is a free gift, not something that we earn or deserve, uh, not something that can be bought. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. It's free. The gospel invitation is to all of us and it's free. Wine and milk are symbols here of, of complete satisfaction. And this is a beautiful invitation. Reminds us a, a little of Jesus' invitation in Matthew 11, uh, which Mark read earlier. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he will. He will. Verse 2, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Um, we could paraphrase this, or at least apply it. Why do you reject the free offer of the gospel and think you can somehow earn favor with God, earn your way into heaven by your own efforts. No. Uh, we, we sometimes criticize some of our friends in Christendom uh, <clears throat> for, a, for a salvation by works. Um, but I've become convinced that that's the natural bent of all of us outside of Christ, to think that somehow we can earn it. We we know the Roman Catholic Church teaches this, and most of the cult groups teach a salvation by works, but 
like I said, I, I grew up in a Protestant church without really hearing the gospel. And I kind of thought in my mind, I, I'm better than other, other people, my friends, I, I'll make it. That's a natural, sinful thought to think we can do it on our own. And that's what he's contradicting here. Um, why do you spend your money for what's not bread, your labor for that which is not satisfied? Listen diligent to me. Eat what is good. Delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I want to move on to the everlasting covenant in this verse. But, but before I do, don't miss the beauty of this invitation. It's for everyone. Everyone who thirsts. It's for you and for me. Incline your ear. Come to me. Here that your soul may live. 3b, um, I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. We sometimes call this the Davidic covenant because it was given specifically to David and it's found in 2 Samuel 7. Uh, if you have your Bible, just turn back there for a second. Keep a bookmark in Isaiah 55 because we're going to come right back. But 2 Samuel 7. This was given to David. Verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. In other words, a physical descendant. And I will establish his kingdom. Hmm, who that is. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Verse 13, then verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. He says to David, was David's kingdom forever? No, no. The, the northern kingdom was wiped out by Assyria in 722 BC. And then the southern kingdom, Judah, in 586 BC was wiped out by the Babylonians. Never to, as, as a kingdom with kings, Never to be again. So it must be talking about someone else. Look look at verses 4 and 5. Um, verse, verse 5, back in Isaiah 55. Behold you... Uh, yeah, verse 4. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Now he's talking about this one who he made the commander. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know. And a nation that did not know you shall run to you. This is talking about the Messiah. Verse 5, right in the middle of this beautiful invitation, this beautiful chapter. It's talking about the Messiah, Jesus. Because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Right in the middle of this beautiful chapter is the Messiah, Jesus. Let's, let's move on. Verses 6 and 7. The first verses, I, I uh, use the word come because it came up so often. Come unto me. Come to the Messiah. Come to Jesus. Now it's seek. Um, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. We, we sometimes use the word seekers of those who, uh, who are considering the gospel, thinking about it. Maybe not... Not quite sure yet. I, I know you've done evangelism right up here at 69th Street Station and probably run into people who um, are, are thinking about it, are seeking the gospel. Um, I'm going to take an extra minute to tell a little story. 
you may be familiar, I don't know if, if uh, Mark, if you're familiar with this, the Boardwalk Chapel that the Orthodox Presbyterian Church established back in the 40s in, in Wildwood, New Jersey. And they have, uh, they've done it every year. They go every year for the summer. Uh, students from Westminster were kind of started, I think a professor originally started it, and students. Anyway, um, my grands, one of my grandsons, Micah, who's just graduated from high school, is in college now, ha has been there for two summers, for like four weeks. And it's a wonderful experience. You're out on the boardwalk talking to young people, many of whom have never heard the gospel, and, and sharing Christ with them, uh, doing boardwalk evangelism. And they have, they have some, some real uh, good times. A lot of people turn them down. A lot of people don't want to have anything to do with them. But some are willing to talk, willing to listen. This summer, when uh, Michael was down there in July, uh, the Phillies got a new pitcher. Uh, from Detroit, Lorenzen. I can't even think of his first name. Mike, I think. I don't know if you follow baseball, but the Phillies have this pitcher, and he threw a he threw a no hitter. It wasn't a perfect game, but he threw a no hitter. He was a Christian. He is a Christian. He's on there. He's actually been back added for the playoffs for the Phillies. Anyway. Uh, my my older son follows baseball. He said, "Look up Mike Lorenz. I think it's Mike. Uh, he's a, he's a believer, and he, how he came to Christ, he said, was through boardwalk evangelism. Not not the one in not the one in Wildwood, but it was in California. But he said he heard the gospel. He had he kind of knew it from a child, but he never really he was living for the world and everything. He heard it and was convicted." And the person, whoever it was preaching it, teaching it, like my grandson Micah this last summer, didn't even know. But Michael Lorenzen went home and came to Christ. And years later, he throws a no-hitter for the Phillies. But anyway, God's word does not return unto him void. And I'm jumping ahead to the one of the next points. But God's word is powerful. So anyway, seekers are people seeking Christ. And sometimes you run into them on the boardwalk. Sometimes you run into them at 69th Street Terminal. People that are willing to listen. And sometimes we use it uh, kind of, they say pejoratively, in a negative way. Our, our church would say, and I'm sure you would too, we don't, we don't design our worship service as a seeker-friendly. We, we design it for believers to make it meaningful for believers to worship God. And that's absolutely true. And at the same time, we, your church, our church down in New, down in uh, Maryland, which just moved from the PCA to the OPC. I don't know if you were aware of that, but uh, New Covenant Presbyterian Church north of Baltimore is delighted to have seekers, is delighted to have people come to our worship service and listen and hear the gospel and have us share God's word with them. So seekers, it's a good term. And he goes on um, and it says, seek him while he may be found, while he is near. And you may be thinking, well, God's always near. The Lord's always near, isn't he? Well, yes, he is. But the problem isn't with the Lord, it's with us. Our interest in spiritual things sometimes can grow cold and and uh, drift people drift away. 
not not lose their salvation, but people who have been exposed to the gospel. Uh, Jamal was a student of mine at the Christian Academy 40 years ago. I was the principal. I don't know if I had him in class. I always taught a Bible class, but but I was the principal, uh, high school principal. And sadly, I've seen students drift away, but I've also seen some of them come back. They go away from home and they just go off on their own and things of the world and so on. I talked to one just this last spring that I had as a student, probably about the same time that Jamal was there in the 80s, and he had come back to the Lord. He was living for the Lord, going to a good church, and um, God brings people back. God can bring people back to himself. Uh, seek him while he, can, while he may be found. There's a verse, though, in the, uh, in the New Testament, Second um, Corinthians, behold, now is the favorable time. Now is the time of salvation. So don't put it off. Don't put it off. Verse 7 emphasizes repentance. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Uh, salvation is not just faith, but it's repentance. We turn from our sins. That's repentance. And we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Um, Old Testament, New Testament. Faith and repentance are both two sides of the same coin. Two sides of conversion, of coming to Christ. That's why we need our need the Lord because of our sin. And sometimes people will wonder, well, my sin, will he receive me if I if I turn? Look at the rest of the verse. Let him return to the Lord that he may the Lord may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Amen. He will abundantly pardon. Amen. Amen. Let's move on. Verses 8 and 9, and this is where our theme comes from. My way, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Uh, this is kind of, it flips it around. It's what we call a chiasma. First, your thoughts are not my thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. Um, or my ways are higher, uh, I'm sorry, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Then to emphasize it in verse 9, for the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Pretty good illustration. And uh, there's a New Testament verse that I think is important, reminding us that the natural man, no matter how brilliant and we talk about scholars, college professors, all that kind of stuff, Without the Spirit, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That's, a, that's all of us outside of Christ. When we come to Christ, he begins to help us understand spiritual truths little by little. Um, God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. <clears throat> Back to the beginning and think about Frank Sinatra, his my way. And, and uh, God says, no, my way. And it's not just Frank and those that want his, his song at their funeral. It's natural man. Uh, the American Humanists Association, that's one of their basic tenets. Man's way. Keep God out of it. Man's way. Um, and that's us outside of Christ. 
I want to move on, but this is a great chapter, and don't miss this key theme. God declaring to us, not your way, my way, my way. The next couple of verses talk about my word. And if you want to say, well, how do we know God's way? It's through his word. For this rain and snow come down from heaven. It's a beautiful illustration. Do not return there, but water the earth, bring forth spouts forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower, bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It will not return unto me empty. Uh, the illustration's interesting of the water coming down from heaven. It's what scientists might call a hydrological or biogeochemical cycle. They like to use big words like that. It rains, and I like to tell my little granddaughter Zinnia when it rains and we can't go out and play, rain is good. God sends rain. Uh, it helps plants grow and grass and flowers and trees and we drink it and uh, has a lot of important uses that God gives us. And then the rain goes into the creeks and then it goes into rivers and lakes and the ocean and it evaporates and goes back up into the sky and forms clouds and then the cycle starts all over again. And, and the Lord uses this here in Isaiah 55 as an illustration of his word. His word, accomplishing all kinds of things. Thank God for rain. Thank God for his word. Um, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. He's talking about the Bible, the word of God. Uh, and when it's faithfully used, taught, preached, shared one-on-one, -on -one, read in your personal devotions, um, it will accomplish God's purpose memorized God works in it um, again thinking of people that have drifted away from the Lord for a period of time this young man that I talked to this this spring uh, his father was a close friend of mine and, and he passed away and we went down to Florida for his funeral one of the sons had drifted away but was had come back to the Lord and is actively following Christ now but he told me not, not only did God use the prayers of his parents and grandparents and friends and so on, but God used things that he had memorized as a kid to bring him back to himself. Uh, God's word does not return to him empty. And it's so important that we uh, give it to our children, friends, in our own lives, uh, that we share the word, that we preach the word. Um, God uses it. God's word will accomplish his purposes. Um, praise God for his word. Let's, let's just come to the last part. It's, a, it's some beautiful figurative language here. The last couple of verses of, the, of Isaiah 55. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Uh, some beautiful figurative language here. And also in verse 13. Uh, let me just say a word about... How's our, how's our time? I got to keep an eye on it. Um, uh, figurative and literal language in Scripture. There is a lot of figurative language in Scripture like this. And so to say, I take the Bible literally... That, that doesn't have much meaning. Uh, it's usually our critics that say, you take the Bible literally. Believers say, no, I, 
I like to say I take the Bible seriously. It's the Word of God. Um, there's a lot of figurative language in it. There's a lot of literal language in it. And I've come to the conclusion, and I'm not sure other pastors or, or Bible scholars would agree, but I've come to the conclusion that usually, not always, usually it's not too difficult to tell when something in Scripture is figurative and when it's literal. There are some tough passages, Revelation and some of the prophets, but a lot of stuff is very clear, like right here in this passage. Jesus said to to his disciples, talking about Herod, go tell that fox, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Did he mean that Herod had four legs and a bushy tail? No. He was using the term figuratively. Or here, the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Or, for example, and some might disagree on this, but when Jesus at the Last Supper took the bread and said to his disciples, this is my body, figurative. His body was right there. He was still there. But the bread was a figurative expression, very important, very real, but figurative expression. On the other hand, on the other hand, when things in Scripture are presented as true historical facts, Jesus' virgin birth, his resurrection, his miracles, we take them literally when they're presented that way in Scripture as literal facts. So again, I won't say everything, but a lot of stuff in Scripture, it's, it's not too hard to tell. Here in this verse, these last two verses, there's some literal, there's some figurative language. The trees of the field should clap their hands, uh, the thorns and the cypress, the briar. Um, what does it mean? Well, my uh, my study Bible, this is a Reformation study Bible. There's, there's some good study Bibles, by the way, that that I would encourage you to consider, um, suggests that it pictures judgment being replaced by salvation. Judgment being replaced by salvation. And joy, according to E.J. Young in his commentary on Isaiah, points out that there will be an absence of fear and rejoicing in the fact that deliverance has come. And I have to kind of remind myself of that sometimes, that God has given us joy and we need to Remember that, not always be grumpy, but be joyful in our salvation in Him. Um, now, whether going forth and being led, going out and being led forth refers back to the Exodus or Israel leaving Babylon, different commentators differ. Ultimately, it speaks of our release from the bondage of sin. And peace, as I often point out when we're in the New Testament, especially at Christmas time, peace on earth, good will to men. Peace in the scripture usually is referring to peace with God through faith in Christ. It's not talking about peace on earth, no more wars. Peace with God. Uh, reconciliation with God, peace with God through faith in Christ. The mountains and the hills, usually obstacles in our journey, not here, they will Break forth with singing, and all the trees in the fields will clap their hands. Um, verse 13, Young suggests that the briar, it's only used one time in the Old Testament, may actually be nettles. I don't know if you've ever experienced nettles. You don't even want to touch them. They, they burn. Um, cypress and crepe myrtle, on the other hand, are beautiful, beautiful trees. 
And then in the last phrase, the prophet drops the figurative language and simply says, it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Let's wrap up. Isaiah 55. It's a beautiful chapter of scripture, only 13 verses. Just two thoughts I want to leave you with. For all of us, my way, not Frank Sinatra's my way, but God saying to us, not your way, but, but my way, says the Lord. And for anyone who might be seeking uh, the wonderful, warm invitation of these opening verses, come unto me, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Cline your ear, come to me, hear that your soul may live, and then seek seek the Lord while he may be found. Let the weak, wicked forsake his way, and the Lord, he will abundantly part, and he will. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this wonderful chapter of Scripture you've given us to study this morning. Thank you for your warm, gentle invitation to come, to seek, Seek you while you may be found. And remind us, Lord, day by day, in everything we do and say, not our way, but your way, says the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.